This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. epic finale that will live forever or at least as long as cg renesme haunts your nightmares it's twilight saga breaking dawn part two and this film is lit hello and welcome back to this film is lit the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books it's the final episode of the summer series 2020 and boy, what a 2020! What a 2020 series. it's been. Uh, maybe the right, the right trilogy or the right series for the right year potentially. Mm, yeah. Uh, with this, one. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair. I don't know. Twilight, the Twilight Saga is not nearly as bad as this year is. So. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> Before we get started, we wanted to give you a quick reminder. If you could do us a favor, you can head over to patreon.com slash this film is lit. Support us for as little as two bucks a month, but up to 15 bucks a month or whatever amount you want. But two, five and fifteen dollars are the level uh, at two dollars. You get access to early, early release whenever the, like the night before the episodes would normally get posted uh, ad free. If we ever ended up getting ads, we're getting pretty close to where we actually could get ads in terms of viewer wise. Uh, so that may or listener wise. So that may happen before too long. And uh, I believe that's it for the two dollar level. At the $5 level, you get access to bonus content, uh, and one of those things that just recently we did was we talked about Midnight Sun. Katie read Midnight Sun, which is the Edward perspective of Twilight, mm-hmm. the first the first novel, and we talked about uh, all the good and the bad and the ugly in Midnight Sun. If you support us for 5 bucks a month, you can get access to that and hear all of Katie's thoughts. At 15 bucks a month, that is our Academy Award-winning level, and you get uh, all that other stuff, plus priority recommendations. Uh, if you're a $15 a month patron, and you stick around for at least a couple months, we will give you, uh, and you recommend a thing, we will work that recommendation in as soon as possible. In fact, our next episode is going to be a listener recommendation. Um, we've had a bunch in, in the past. We've done, I don't know, close to half dozen or something probably by now yeah in that range uh dolan's cadillac was a, a listener recommendation and yes our next episode will also be that and we have almost one a month for the next few months um from our 15 dollars patrons so if you can do that that's fantastic if you can't do that if you can't support us on patreon we understand it's fine you could do us a gigantic huge favor by just leaving us a five-star rating and review on itunes or stitcher or if wherever you listen to us if you're able to rate us and review us on that platform we would love and appreciate you for doing so Uh, And I believe that's all I have. Let's get into our first segment for the last time for the Twilight Saga. Let me sum up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Bella is finally a vampire. Bella comes to terms with her new immortal life, exploring her powers, hunting for the very first time and realizing she's not like other vampires. (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately, thanks to Irina's meddling, Renesmee... Edward and Bella's daughter is discovered by the Volturi who thinks she is an immortal child, a dangerous and outlawed child vampire that threaten to expose all vampires to humans. And the Colons and werewolves have to team up 
and prepare for a seemingly doomed confrontation with the Volturi. Alice and Jasper disappear into the night, assuming to have been assumed to have run away because they knew there was no chance of victory. And the Colons begin recruiting witnesses to help convince the Volturi that Renezme is in fact not a dangerous immortal child, but a unique half vampire, half human baby. The big day comes and our ragtag group of heroes assemble to plead their case. Things seem to be going poorly and our heroes prepare for their imminent Demise is probably a better word than death because they're already <laughs> dead in the coming fight. But then Alice and Jasper return, bringing with them another hybrid that proves that Renesmee will not become a dangerous monster and thus is not a threat to expose vampires and thus not worthy of being destroyed by the Volturi. The Volturi stand down and disappear into the sunset, leaving our happy family to enjoy the rest of their immortal lives forever. That's and, and ever. That's basically it. That's yep. Pretty, Pretty much. much uh, and then we're gonna get into all the little details in our first segment. Better in the book. You like to read? Oh yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. All right. So I actually had a lot for better in the book. Not to spoil my final conclusion, but we we got we got quite a bit to talk about here. So my first one, and this is a big pet peeve of mine is I hate opening credits in movies. Mm -hmm. Not a fan. These aren't the worst ones ever, but they're still opening credits, and I just want to get to the movie. And so I appreciate that the book did not have opening credits. (laughs) (laughs) Also, when I saw Rami Malek in the opening credits, I was like, Rami Malek's in this? Surely he's Benjamin. Because he only (laughs) shows up to play Egyptian characters pre-like... Like pre two thousand yeah. or pre Mr. Robot yeah. or whatever. Like he shows up to be like the, the they're like, we need an Egyptian person. Get Rami Malik. I didn't notice his name in the opening credits because I also hate them and I tuned out. Um but then when he showed up in the movie, I was like, hey. <laughs> um so part two of this opens up with Bella being introduced to her new life mm-hmm. as a vampire. Um, And we get a lot of description of what she's seeing and hearing with her newly enhanced vampire senses for the first time. Yeah. And I thought that was just more detailed and interesting. I agree. In the book. I didn't think the way the movie portrayed it was terrible. No, they do like some very quick, like close, like super fast zoom-ins to like little details. Like water running down the side of a vase or whatever. And yeah, yeah, it's all right. Um, And then there's like stuff that the movie can't show, like the fact that vampires see an eighth color on the color spectrum. Yeah. Like you can't do that in your movie. So, but it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. I I agree that it is better in the uh in the book. Um I also thought it was better in the book that all of the Collins were there when she wakes yeah. up. They're all like waiting yeah, for in the her room. to wake up. Um and we get like a little bit of teasing from Emmett. And also, I don't know if you remember we discussed this at some point. Now I can't remember which episode we talked about it in, but there is definitive evidence in this book that vampires can see Jasper's scars better you than humans that, can. And I didn't know why you would. I, I yeah, I was like, I don't remember that little detail. But yes, that is clear. She she can see them. Very uh, they're very like striking now. Like, yeah, it's very obvious. Whereas before that was not the case. I also there's a moment in the book where during this moment where she she stands in front of the mirror and uh, because all the people are there, one of the things is Alice wants to 
be there when she sees herself for the first time or whatever. Um, but it, she, she like, she has this moment of like coming to terms with like not recognizing herself, of mm-hmm. looking so different. And the movie doesn't really do it. She looks at herself in the mirror and just kind of smiles and like they just move on really quick. And I don't really know how they would do it. Oh, I guess they would because they have a lot of voiceover in this movie. They could have done it with with a voiceover of some sort or something. But I thought that was an interesting idea of herself just looking slightly off enough that she's like, that doesn't even look like me. I don't know. There's something kind of weird and like creepy about that idea mm-hmm. of seeing yourself in the mirror and not really and feeling like something is off and weird and not thinking it looks like you. And the movie just kind of glosses over it yeah, completely. Yeah, there is something interesting about that. And then on on a similar note to her, like, coming to terms with her new reality, basically, mm-hmm. there are a couple moments in the book where she's kind of coming to terms with who she is now like we have like edward demonstrating how to jump out the window yeah um and showing her how to like leap across the river which i thought were both like nice little moments yeah yeah and 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 this whole thing i this is one of some of my favorite parts of this book is is all of the moments right after she becomes a vampire similar to how we talked about in the last episode how sort of well written and evocative the the process of the transformation is Mm -hmm. um by stephanie meyer i thought that the whole part where she's like testing out all of her powers and running through the woods and stuff for the first time is like really well done and was exciting and like i was like yeah like this is it's cool it makes you wish you could do that and the movie is just it doesn't capture that like yeah. because partially because the the cg them running through the woods just looks terrible it looked ridiculous it looks really bad like their their faces i don't know if their body doubles with their faces cg'd on or if it's I don't know what was going on, but there was a couple shots right when they're first running through the woods where it's like, that doesn't even look like the, 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 the faces, it looked like the CG baby, which boy, we will get, <laughs> we will get to that, um, where their faces just looked wrong. Mm-hmm. And this, just for comparison, here's just a brief little um, passage from the book when she first starts running through the woods that I thought was like, just kind of, you know, again, written in a, in a, in a very evocative way that is, that makes you want to be able to do that. I could finally understand why Edward never hit the trees when he ran, a question that had always been a mystery to me. It was a peculiar sensation, the balance between the speed and the clarity. For a while, for a while I rocketed over, under, and through the thick jade maze at a rate that would have reduced everything around me to a streaky green blur. I could plainly see each tiny leaf on all the small branches of every insignificant shrub that I passed. The wind of my speed blew my hair and my torn dress out behind me, and though I knew it shouldn't, it felt warm against my skin, just as the for- rough forest floor shouldn't feel like velvet beneath my bare soles, and the limbs that whipped against my skin shouldn't feel like caressing feathers. The forest was much more alive than I'd ever known. Small creatures whose existence I'd never guessed at teemed in the leaves around me. They all grew silent after we passed, their breath quickening in fear. The animals had a much wiser reaction to our scent than humans seemed to. Certainly it had the opposite effect on me. It definitely, they try to capture it in the movie and they just fail. Mm-hmm. Because it looks bad. It just looks bad. It looks really bad. Uh, the, the mountain lion eating scene, which they do do in the movie. Mm-hmm is fine in the movie again part partially it fails due to like kind of wonky looking cg when she like tackles the mountain lion um but it is pretty intense and also i guess they couldn't i don't know how much they keep in but i think it the other thing they don't do which they do in the book that i thought was fun is that it like tears her dress all sexy yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> Which is not in the movie. <laughs> no. Like, she gets attacked by the mountain lion, and it, like, rips up her dress, basically. So she looks like a... Yeah. I don't know. She's got, like, sexy ripped dress and, yeah. like, mountain lion blood and dirt all over her. None of which is in the None movie. None of which is in the movie. <laughs> she just, like, looks the same yeah. the whole time. Uh, and, but apparently, and this is also a little detail, they mentioned that carnivores taste better um, than, like, uh, herbivores. Mm-hmm. Because they drink, they eat meat, I guess, or whatever, so that it's closer to human blood than like herbivores and it's a little like world building detail that i thought was kind of interesting i suppose then it follows that in stephanie meyer verse vegetarians and vegans taste bad worse than regular humans yeah or (laughs) regular humans (laughs) not what i meant (laughs) worse than uh yeah omnivorous humans it is something interesting that i could tell in this section of the book and also reading Midnight Sun is that Stephanie Meyer clearly enjoys writing from the perspective of the vampire characters that she's created, but for some reason has kept herself from From doing doing this Yeah, for four and a half books. Three and a half. Yeah, I guess three and a half. Oh yeah. Yeah, Three and a half. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's, it's weird. Again, I, like we said before, I I would have had her turn into book three, I think instead of Mm -hmm. middle book four, but, I I also uh, this is a quote from while they're hunting. Uh, Bella thinks it was a surprisingly sensual experience to observe Edward hunting. End quote. And I was like, man, Stephanie Meyer is such an interesting bag of kinks and biblical commandments, and I don't <laughs> know what to make of her. <laughs> like she's <laughs> she's fascinating to me. <laughs> like the things that like the things that come through in her books. That are like beneath the surface that I'm not even sure she's aware of. Yeah. Are like wild to me. Where it's just like talking about how sensual it is watching Edward Hunt and stuff. And it's like. Just, you know, just out here watching him kill mountain lions yeah, with his bare hands. But it's mixed with this weird, weird necessity of like being incredibly chased and like, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, it's like these weird bag of like sexual proclivities wrapped up in, yeah, very strict religious um ideas about uh about sexuality and stuff and it's it's fascinating to me and then because at the end of this chapter they 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 kill a bunch of deer or no i think they come across a field where i think they kill like a handful of deer or Mm -hmm. something because they don't it isn't just the one animal in the book they hunt like several animals and they kill like a four or five of them in a field and there's the way it's written. It made it really feel and sound like they were about to start having sex in the middle of this field covered in blood <laughs> with dead animals everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, Stephanie, don't let your dreams be dreams. Come on. <laughs> Just do it. Just write the scene. <laughs> they do not. But, uh, oh, so oh, funny. God. I also had that quote about. Edward hunting being sensual in my notes, but mine just said, thanks. I hate it. I love it. I love that she's <laughs> that she doesn't know what to do with the, the things that make her horny. Oh, she just she doesn't know. She really has no idea. <laughs> she no. has no idea what to do with it. Oh, uh, and then the biggest one, the most important better in the book, possibly ever, is uh the, the CG monstrosity that is baby Renezme <laughs> in this movie. I could talk about I have notes, recurring notes like eight times about this when we watch the film. It's so bad. 
It's so bad. It's so bad and for no reason. That's the thing that blew my mind because I said this to you. Yeah. I was like, why did they do this? So the, if you haven't seen the movie, this the baby in the movie for the first until it until like the last handful of scenes where it's supposed to be like a, roughly the equivalent of like a five or six year old or whatever. Mm-hmm. All the way up to then is CG. The face is CG'd. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know the reason I didn't look up the reasons for this i i'm sure there are several but i was like why would they do this this baby is like why would they cg the face of this baby and you said because it is the plot point in the book that that even as a baby renezme is more expressive and yeah she's like more advanced she has like the yes the sort of social skills of like a like a, a an older, older. Like a, an, yeah an older child yeah um but which, in the body of a baby which if they had it be CG and they were trying to do that and it looked bad, that would be one right. thing. I'd be like, okay, you tried. Yeah. It just looks bad. It just looks bad. You tried. They don't do that, though. They know. It it's just It's sits just a there. baby. Why didn't they just use a baby? I was so blown away. It, the baby <laughs> literally doesn't do anything that a normal baby couldn't do. Mm-mm. Or that you could, I mean, you would have to get, you know, like it's just smiling. Yeah. And like occasionally like moves its mouth it never does it never does any acting it doesn't talk it doesn't doesn't do anything and like okay i don't really know how the cgi thing works yeah but they still had to have like a baby on set right you would to cg the face on that's cool because i was wondering too i was like well then maybe it's maybe the baby's in it enough that they there was some like labor you know yeah. like labor issues and stuff with having a baby and uh you know who knows I don't know how that all works so there may maybe that was it I was thinking but it does look like there is an actual baby yeah that they just see like it the doesn't face look of. like they just have a bundle with like... no at least it doesn't look like it to me but yeah. it, you could be I guess I guess but it's and and so I thought I had heard at one point that part of it was that they wanted to CG a baby that looked like a combination of the two of them. But it's if that's the reason, it's a terrible reason because it doesn't. Mm-mm. It just looks like a horrifying monstrosity. <laughs> just find just get a, it. Just get a cute baby. Yeah. With with brown eyes. Yeah. That's all we that's need. All you needed. <laughs> that's all it's, we need. It's so distracting that it legitimately ruins like the first half of the movie. To me, every time the baby shows up, it take it's so bad that it takes you completely out of whatever the movie's trying to accomplish, and it's like literally ruining the the whole first half of the movie. <laughs> and they keep it up, and we'll talk about it more, but they keep it up, like I said, all the way until like the final few yeah, scenes. Like where a weird amount of like to when there's really no reason. When there's very clearly a child here. There's very clearly a child walking around, like a toddler. Yeah. That you're just CGing over the face of for again, <laughs> for what reason? reason? Because they thought it they wanted it to look consistent, I guess, but it just looks consistently terrifying. <laughs> it's like not <laughs> I don't I, I I I need to read an essay or I need to see an interview about what the thought process was behind the, yeah. the this decision because it's mind blowing to me. But it can't be that hard to find kid actors who look passably enough like the same child aging like movies and tv shows do this all the time i feel like yeah like it can't be that much extra hard that we have to cg the face on no i i don't know i it's truly mind-blowing that this went through so many stages of like pre-production like so many people had their 
eyes on this and were like, well, I guess that's what we're ending up with. Like, uh, I, yeah, this got an okay stamp from a lot of people. How? It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So after we meet Creepy Baby, um, we, uh, Edward and Bella get a present from the family, which is a cottage in the forest away from the main house. Mm -hmm. And I thought that the cottage sounded a lot more whimsical and fairy tale like in the book. I thought in the movie, it just seemed like a normal small house. I agree. Uh, so I had this in the movie nailed it. I agree in, on the interior for sure is a little more like normal mm -hmm. looking than it should. I think it's close enough, but I do. I thought the outside looked basically how I imagined it kind of like it's all overgrown with like Ivy and maybe it's a little bigger than I kind of envisioned it but i will agree that the inside looked a little too modern mm -hmm. for kind of a, what i think they were supposed to be going for but they had elements of it there was there was the beams on the ceiling in some parts that they specifically mentioned in the book uh, and the layout sounded the same i i was close they could have done better but they could have done worse so i put it in the middle it's <laughs> close but it's eh for me <laughs> i really just wanted like snow white's cottage yeah in this fair. movie that's so fair. Also, I'm not really sure the movie does a good enough job selling how unusual of a newborn Bella is before Charlie gets there. No. No, I agree that it doesn't. So the movie keeps the scene where she's able to stop herself from killing and eating the hiker a climber a climber yeah. hiker person person who's in the woods where they shouldn't be yeah um but other than that i don't like it's a big deal yeah that she's able to like resist human blood right off the bat yeah yeah and one of the scenes that they kind of drop at least to some extent that they, they change it i feel like i remember it vaguely but they is the moment where uh, that kind of drives home how striking it is, is that after there's a moment where Jasper like leaves, mm -hmm. he like, she does something or they're talking about the fact that she didn't go hunt the, they're either discussing the fact that she was able to stop herself and not kill the hiker, or she does something else that is something that like a newborn shouldn't like be able to control. And uh, Jasper's like, gets very upset by it and like leaves. Yeah. He's like, bullshit and then they have a discussion about how like it was so hard for him that he's like wondering if there's something wrong with him that he yeah. like that it's so easy for her like what was wrong what's wrong with me that i was like killing people when i was a newborn vampire and they kind of like talk about that a little bit and the book or the movie doesn't really have that scene i mm -hmm. think there was a mention that jasper is like what how is this this doesn't make any sense but yeah they don't drive the point home in the same way in the book that it is completely outlandish that she's like a Mary Sue vampire. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was not like other humans. Yeah. And now she's not, not like, like other, other vampires. vampires. Yeah. I, I did turn to you and say like, oh, I, I figured out what her superpower is or her, her, her. It's that she has an old soul. And that's it. I hadn't gotten to the point where they're like, you're a shield or whatever. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. 
But yeah, I legit thought that was her vampire extra power was that, which would make sense to mm-hmm. me because that is a thing that her mom talks about. Yeah, her about. mom talks about how she's like a 40-year-old, yeah. basically, even though she's like 17 Yeah, or like whatever. you're an old soul. Her mom yeah. says that to her. So it does, like, it, it stands to yeah. reason that she would be born as like a decades-old yeah. vampire. And, and so I was like, oh, that that's the amplification of the... This, you know, the her natural uh, human thing yeah. into a vampire. I was like, that actually makes sense. And no, no, it's actually that she's she's a psychic or something, a shield. She, she's a shield. Which also is a thing that she had with Juice Human. It's why Edward couldn't yeah. hear. They just didn't ever really go into like where or why that came. Which I guess they don't really do it with any of the other people. We don't know why Alice is psychic other than. She was. She, she just was. A human, yeah. <laughs> They're only going into details. I still think Bella should have gotten some psychic powers. Yeah. She has prophetic dreams. I'm telling you. Or she did. She doesn't sleep now as a vampire, so maybe she just loses that power. Oh, that's true. Because yeah, it was only when she was dreaming. So now she can't. She doesn't sleep. <laughs> she can't. She loses her dream prophet prophecy powers. So when Charlie uh, eventually does show up at the Colin house. Um, we get there's a lot of like pretty similar stuff that'll be yeah. in the movie nailed it yeah. up till this point. Um, but one thing that the movie leaves out that I really watched was Emmett turning on the football game. Yeah. To kind of like distract Charlie. Yeah. And it totally works. Yeah, totally makes sense. It totally works. Uh, it's a fun little moment. And it does. Uh, Charlie does get distracted by uh, Emmett. He's like, go Gators or whatever. And it, yeah. and it helps. It brings him into a place of normalcy so that he's able to to uh, deal with <laughs> he's these a, revelations. He's able to compartmentalize yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I also kind of missed, there's a moment right before Charlie leaves that first time where there's a description of like the different things that the Cullens are doing about the house where they kind of let the facade slip. A little bit, not a lot, but just a little. Yeah. Everyone was still there besides Jacob, who I could hear raiding the refrigerator in the kitchen. Alice was lounging on the bottom step of the staircase with Jasper's head in her lap. Carlisle had his head bent over a fat book in his lap. Esme was humming to herself, sketching on a notepad, while Rosalie and Emmett laid out the foundations for a monumental house of cards under the stairs. Edward had drifted to his piano and was playing very softly to himself. There was no evidence that the day was coming to a close, that it might be time to eat or shift activities in preparation for evening. Something intangible had changed in the atmosphere. The Cullens weren't trying as hard as they usually did. The human charade had slipped ever so slightly. But I thought that was kind of an interesting moment, that they would just like let it slip a yeah. little bit. I also thought it's it's really weird and funny to me that the thing that she came up with for Rosalie and Jasper to do is build a house of cards. That's such a weird activity for those two in particular. Like if you yeah, told me Alice would... and Emmett were building a house of cards, I'd be like, okay, but Jasper and Rosalie wouldn't. You've I feel like they slipped. switched the descriptions. Like Jasper, like they... Because it was like, wasn't it like... Alice and Jasper were just like sitting on the stairs with each other. Or sorry, not... Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. No, I, yeah, I agree. House of Cards does seem more like an Alice and Jasper yeah. kind of that's a thing. I, say, yeah. I don't know. It just was weird. <laughs> yeah. So there's this thing, this like very brief moment in the book that kind of comes out of nowhere and doesn't go anywhere else again. It's just like this very strange little like... 
moment momentary metaphor that Stephanie Meyer writes that I actually thought was super interesting. And if I was making this movie would have been like one of the things I used as like a visual framing metaphor for like the whole story, I think maybe Mm -hmm. or something. And it's this idea of the loom of fate. Uh, I'm just going to read briefly here. I took mythology a lot more seriously since I'd become a vampire. Often when I looked back over my first three months as an immortal, I imagined how the thread of my life might look in the fate's loom. Who knew but that it actually existed? I was sure my thread must have changed color. I thought it had probably started out as a nice beige, something supportive and non-confrontational, something that would look good in the background. Now it felt like it must be bright crimson or maybe glistening gold. The tapestry of family and friends that weaved together around me was a be- that wove together around me was a beautiful, glowing thing full of their bright, complementary colors. I was surprised by some of the threads I got to include in my life. The werewolves with their deep, woodsy colors were not something I'd expected. Jacob, of course, and Seth too, but my old friends Quill and Embry became part of the fabric as they joined Jacob's pack, and even Sam and Emily were cordial. The tensions between our families, and mostly due to Renesmee, she was easy to love. Sue and Leah Clearwater were interlaced into our life, too. Two more I had not anticipated. And then it goes on and kind of drops the metaphor there. But I thought that, I imagined the movie starting with that, with this mm-hmm. loom, with these colors representing the different characters, and then like them weaving together and then pulling apart in different ways to sort of represent the the play you could do that at the beginning of the movie like during the opening credits mm-hmm. and have the entire story play out without people realizing what they were watching yeah and i thought that could something like that could be really interesting mm-hmm. and i'll again harken back to a very short little moment in the book um but i think it could be a very like like striking visual moment um and you could even because you could even work it into the 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 narrative a little bit in the sense of it wouldn't have to be a completely out of place thing. It could be like one of the Quileute tribes people doing, making some, um, you know, weaving a, mm-hmm. a thing like to have it have, have a place in the story. Like we don't actually see, but like that's where it starts. And, and that it could be Jacob weaving a bracelet for Renesmee or we Jacob re- weaving a bracelet for Renesmee. Um, but it would have been one of the things I think I would have used uh, as like a visual sort of, yeah, I think that that would have been interesting. That could have been really cool and interesting, and they didn't, didn't do anything with it. I was interested. I I made a note of it because I was like, I wonder if they'll do anything with that. Because the, the me, the filmmaker me was like, I would do something with that. That's like a thing. It's <laughs> like a thing you can do a thing with. <laughs> the movie also leaves out some detail about what happened with the wolf packs because that was one of the concerns at the end of movie one. Was what's going to happen with yeah. these two like rival wolf packs? Oh, uh, we get one shot where Sam and Jacob shake hands. <laughs> that's it. Uh, that's yeah. That's pretty much how the movie resolves that. And the book kind of skims over I was it the as book, well. Yeah. But there are like there's a few more details there at least. Like you mentioned that Quill and Embry eventually join Jacob's pack. Yeah. Um, we also find out in the book. I mean, the book doesn't really do anything with this, but we do find out that Jacob and Sam can also communicate through their thoughts because they're both alphas yeah them the two of them can yeah yeah communicate which yeah again that yeah you're right that doesn't yeah they don't it doesn't like play into anything like you would think it might i wonder if like she was intending to do something with that and then that detail like made it through editing despite not going anywhere Not not going anywhere like the only and but that's not what it is because i say the only thing that comes back with like the 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 communication is at the end 
where we find out, and I don't have a note about this anywhere because it's not in the movie and it's not really super important in the book, but um, Bella realizes that when she puts her shield around Jacob, mm-hmm. it, it also goes around his entire pack. Yeah. And the same with Sam. Yeah, because they're all like Because they're like linked. So as long as she's protecting Jacob, she ends up protecting all of them. Um, but that doesn't relate to her Sam and Jacob's no. being connected in any way. So. It really is like I wonder if she was intending to do something. I have a note about it later, then... but the entire end of this novel feels like Deadline was coming up real quick, <laughs> in my opinion. But <laughs> there's a scene in the book or in the movie that I, I guess it's it is what it is. Where there, if this is the moment where uh, Irina sees Renesmee out mm-hmm. in the in the woods and it happens similarly in the book it's her and jacob and renesmee walking through the woods um as it's snowing uh and then irena sees renesmee and sees jacob with renesmee and is like what the fuck yeah and because she's mad about the werewolves killing laurent and she thinks it's an immortal child and she runs off to tell the vulturi but there's a little detail in the movie where renesmee like jumps 100 feet in the air yeah and looks like she's flying but yeah. I assume she's jumping. Because we both were like, what the fuck? Wait, she can fly? <laughs> it's because they don't show her jumping. She just, like, Levitates, leaves the yeah. ground. And again, it's, I think it's partially a result of, of not great CG. Like, it doesn't quite um, illustrate, like, the, the momentum. Like, it just mm-hmm. looks like she's levitating. Like, it doesn't, you can't, it doesn't depict, like, the, the weight and, like, movement yeah. of a jump. Even yeah. though it is, I think, what it's supposed to be, because she cannot fly as far as we know. But it she is. She never flies again if she can. It just looks, assuming even it was a jump, it just looks kind of weird and stupid. And yeah, she never does it again. It's just like, I don't know. It's just one moment. I, I don't even know why it's necessary, because she could still just, it's supposed to be magical and fun, but it, it's weird. It's whimsical. She's catching snowflakes by jumping high into the air. Yeah. Whimsy. Yeah. Um, so then after that, uh, uh, they now realize, oh, no, the Vulturi are coming and they're they're scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. And it's also not really explained in the book, but I kind of like it. But we at least see them leave. Alice and Jasper leave mm-hmm. in the movie. It like they're talking about, oh, no, the people are coming or, or the Vulturi are coming. We got to do something. And then it cuts to like the next day and they're getting ready to like go find witnesses or whatever. And they get a note from Sam that's like Alice and Lat Jasper just left, and it's it's the same note they get in the book saying they left, but it appears that like our people didn't uh, that the Collins didn't even realize they left. Yeah. Whereas in the book they leave intentionally to go find somebody or do something, although it's vague. Which Alice they do a lot, and they do a lot with Alice in the books where she'll just start doing something and they won't explain what it is because but the Collins all just trust that whatever she's doing. I mean, she sees the future. Right. Because of something she saw, it makes sense. So, like, when she, her and Jasper leave, like, in the middle of the night while they're all standing there talking and they're like, oh, they must be going to do something. But then they find out the next day they they come across Sam and they're like, yeah, they left. And they left you this note. And it's a slight change, but I I liked seeing them leave and thinking, because it almost feels like more of a betrayal in the, in the book because you, you see them leave and you think it's part of the plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is ultimately, but you think it's part of the plan as the reader. You're like, oh, they're going to do a thing. And then when you find out later, a few pages later, oh, no, they we assume bailed on us. Yeah. It yeah. feels more interesting. Whereas in the movie, they're just like gone. And you're like, oh, I didn't even see them leave. OK, you know what I mean? I yeah. don't know. It just it feels different slightly. So I want to talk about this real quick for a minute because I'm curious to get your take on. OK. How 
Stephanie uses Alice and Jasper in the last half of this book, particularly Alice. But so they leave and Bella mostly surmises that Alice has left because she doesn't see that there's any hope. Yeah. That they can win right. this fight. She, she thinks they just left to like run yeah. away. Now, me reading this, I knew that Alice eventually came back. I remembered that right. plot point. And to me, reading, I really felt like Stephanie Meyer was kind of really hitting it over the head, trying to drive home this like red herring of, oh, I guess Alice is just gone forever. And I was curious if you felt like that, too. Um, A little bit. I mean, I so I didn't know that she came back, but I assumed. But see, mm-hmm. the thing is that for me, I would have assumed if I was the Cullens or Bella or whatever, which I guess she's a Cullen, I would have assumed, which was my thought reading the book, not that she bailed on us, but that she has to leave and not tell us why for whatever possible thing could work out to work. You know what I mean? Because I wouldn't expect like they feel like, I mean, they know Alice and stuff. They, she, they wouldn't just leave them unless Mm -hmm. they had to for a plan to work. Mm -hmm. So in my head, it was obvious that that's what was going on and not that they had just bailed on them because it was hopeless. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was surprised that none of the colons seemed to come to that same conclusion. Like, oh, clearly. I mean, we know they're occasionally slow on the uptake. Right. Yeah. The Maybe we should try blood with the baby. Right. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's fair. I guess that was what was weird to me. It's like because to me, it seemed so obvious. And that was my thought was like, oh, they have to leave because and you have to not realize they left because or why they left because it, if you did then it would ruin things and, and you know with mm-hmm. uh, so that so but there there's some plan in the works hopefully and none of them seem to think that or if they do they don't ever like bella never seems at least from my memory doesn't like think about it that way i don't know i thought i, I just thought it was it didn't it seemed obvious to me that alice was i mean it was obvious that alice was coming back i mm-hmm. mean like she's not just gonna she's like one of the main characters she's not just gonna bail <laughs> Like just like live out her life on the beach drinking mimosas while our friends get massacred. Like I is, it, it's a it's a it's a faint that just doesn't work because of who the character yeah. is. If it had been just Jasper, maybe maybe you know what I mean or something. Like, if it had been or like been Rosalie, yeah, Rosalie and Emmett, I would have been like, yeah, okay. yeah, maybe they would bail, maybe maybe. But you know, Alice isn't gonna bail. Like he's he don't <laughs> buy it. Like so, it's like all right, there's some something <laughs> greater at work here. There is a member of the Volturi who's mentioned in the book that I don't think came up in the movie. I don't remember them talking about Chelsea in the movie. Uh, I think she's in it, but I don't. But I found we don't we don't like meet her or anything, but I found this idea intriguing. So she's a vampire with the Volturi guard who has this special vampire power of being able to break like bonds within a coven. Oh, yeah. I forgot the book mentioned that. Yeah. And then like she can like recreate so that a vampire feels like bonded with. Yeah. The Volturi guard. Yeah, yeah that's right. But I, I thought, like, I thought that was intriguing because the, the Volturi, okay, are basically brainwashing vampires into wanting to join them. Yeah. Like, that's what's happening here. Yeah. 
yeah no i i agree it's uh it is yeah it, it's an interesting character and the, I, I i think they felt like it's just a little too convoluted to try mm-hmm. to explain and get into yeah and it doesn't it doesn't end up making any difference anywhere like she never really comes into as a factor even yeah but i thought it was an interesting detail which in the last like in the confrontation in the end don't they mention it like well because bella's shielding everybody yeah they they yes they mention that she's there but she can't Can't do anything anything because of bella yeah um so we see uh alec who is also in the voltori guards jane's brother yeah. Um, and his power is that he creates this mist, which they also call it mist in the book. I think it is actually a mist in the book, but I don't exp- imagine it looking how it does in the movie. No, I I didn't like the way it looked in the movie, which is what my note is here. Yeah. It looks like like thick, dark smoke. Yeah, it looks like, movie. isn't it the, uh, was it the terrible, um, uh, yeah, the, uh, the thing in um, Fantastic Beasts the isn't that you know what i'm talking about the um uh the the, the kid who, who yeah. turns into the whatever yeah I don't yeah remember he, any of the yeah. plot points the he smoke turns, monster he turns thing. into a, a destructive smoke monster yeah thing. yeah it kind of looks like Ka- that. yeah it does kind of look like that it's it's a really bad bit of cgi special if it doesn't look I, great i would argue that the cg itself in this moment isn't terrible but i just don't think it fits for I get what they were going for. I didn't particularly like it. I cause, but I did actually imagine in the book, at least at first I didn't assume it was an actual like physical mist that you could see. Mm-hmm. But then later on, it seems to be when they're in the field and the confrontation, well, they, yeah. they talk about it in a way that they can actually see it. Yeah. They say, they say they can like see it creeping towards yeah. them, but it's not like a thick, like she, like Bella describes it, I think as kind of looking like, where the heat's above a candle yeah. where you can like see it wavering. Yeah. And see, I guess they, they, they changed it because that's kind of the look they go for, for Bella's for her thing. Shield, because yeah. they, which in the book, Bella's shield is completely not, right, you can't there's see no it. seeing it. So, so they, they had to come up with a way to visualize her ability. Cause I, I actually had a note about like how in the world they going to so do did this. I, yeah. And they did an okay job with it, I think. But so they used that kind of effect for her. So I think they needed something more, you know, that contrasted with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, and they wanted something that looked evil, quote unquote, you know, so it's this black, like evil death smoke that comes out. Yeah. I was so sad that the movie skipped parts of the Jay Jenks storyline. Yeah. It's a reasonable streamlining. I, I had this, in be- I, I had this in better in the movie only because I thought, it's not so much better in the movie as it is just like this makes sense for it, yeah. what you're doing. It's reasonably handled. They cut the Jay Jenks uh, plot line down to one interaction and one scene, and they do it in a way that adds up and makes sense. Where it's in in the movie, she goes and has to, or in the book, she goes and has to figure out. I mean, you can explain what the whole Jay Jenks plot line is, but yeah. So Jay Jenks is a lawyer that the Collins use to procure all of their illegal paperwork yeah. that they need to live as humans yeah. forever. Yeah. Uh, and he always interacts with Jasper, who apparently terrifies the shit out of him. Yeah. Because Jasper's the vampire one. Yeah. Um, but there's this whole storyline where she basically just gets, like, an address from Alice. Or a name. I don't a even... Name a name and an address. And an address. And they're, but they're 
they don't match. Yeah. Like the address is to a different place where there's not this name yeah. involved and the name goes to an address that's a different address than what she has. So yeah. She's so, not she, sure. so the address initially takes her to like this like seedy downtown wrong side of the tracks kind of area where she figures out that he's like a he, he's a lawyer, but he also does like this under the table kind of stuff. Um, and then she has to figure out like what exactly she he does and what yeah, she needs because she get doesn't from know him. what she's there for she has yeah. no idea um and i that's the thing i liked in the book was the mystery of it mm-hmm. and trying to figure out her figuring out what's going on and us as readers trying to figure out like what where's this going like what's this like what is this wild goose chase that alice sent her off on i liked that yeah yeah and yeah and but they streamline it down to the second meeting essentially in the book where she goes to pick up so basically she realizes, oh, Alice sent me here because she knows we're going to lose. I need to get passports, ID, yeah. whatever for um, for Renesmee and for Jacob. Renesmee and Jacob so that they can run away and start new lives together. Mm-hmm. Just the two of them while the rest of us like buy them time to escape essentially in the mm-hmm. big battle at the end. And she kind of figures this all out very quickly and comes up with it on the spot and then does it all. And then she goes back to pick up the the IDs and stuff. And this is where she meets him in the restaurant, which is the inter- interaction we see yes. in the movie where they're at the restaurant and he gives her the the IDs and stuff. I like I like that whole plot line. I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. Um, I like that it's a mystery. I like the way Bella figures it out. I think the movie's cut version of it works really well because in the movie they're just like, oh, Jasper had these he was his these are his instructions he instructed me to make these ids or whatever and this is basically all part of alice's plan and she's just he's delivering them Mm -hmm. to bella and she and then when she sees them she realizes what it is and it works very similarly but we limit it to like like 10 minutes five minutes of screen time versus like 30 minutes 20 minutes of screen time no yeah it is it's an incredibly reasonable way to handle that side plot yeah. in the book, given how much ground we have to cover yeah. and how many new characters we have to introduce. Yeah. Uh, it does make me sad, though, that once again we have a movie that kind of drops any kind of showcasing of the fact that Bella is smart. Yeah, that's true. Um, whereas in the book we have, like, Alice giving her the tiniest little breadcrumb yeah, yeah. and then she figures out what she needs to do. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong about that because she definitely does figure out very quickly and impressively what this whole situation is. And oh, okay, yeah, which yeah, in the movie, not so much. But there's a little detail in the book that Bella wears the necklace that Arrow gives her. Am I crazy that they in this movie switched to calling him Aro? I don't know. I no longer know. I could have swore that in the previous movie they called him Arrow. Why did? Because we had a discussion about how he should be called Aro. We thought he should be called Aro, but then they called him Arrow. But I think you're right. I think they call him Aro again. Not I think they 100 percent because I thought about it during the movie. They all call him Aro the whole time, and I was like, "Am I? Did I? Am I being gaslit? Did they not call him (laughs) Arrow in the last movie, or what is going on?" Because I remember having that discussion, 
Um, so I'm going to call him Aro because they all call him Aro now. So Okay. Well, he gives her this gaudy giant diamond yeah. necklace Some as a wedding gift. Or yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. She opens it and Carlisle's like, I always wondered what happened to the crown jewels yeah. after Cromwell lost the throne or yeah. something like that. Like, okay, Carlisle. Right. Um, but then she, when they're getting ready to go to the battlefield, she puts it on like, can't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as like a yeah, because they're they're trying to like win their affection. Yeah, it's like, yeah. like a show of goodwill or yeah. whatever. So they're getting to the confrontation at the end here. This is kind of we're getting to the big battle slash not battle, <laughs> and then that we have a whole discussion about that eventually. <laughs> but uh, I like this little detail in the book that didn't translate to the movie, is that um, the thing that triggers Bella's like sir power leveling up. <laughs> Yeah, and she, her, like, levels up to 9,000. Yeah, yeah, and she realizes she can now shield everybody, is that as something is happening, and I don't even remember exactly the context of this, it's because in the movie she starts torturing Edward, mm-hmm. uh, Jane does, and then that's kind of what does it. Mm-hmm. In the book, she's not torturing anybody, but she something happens and she smiles at Bella, like she, like, smiles at her like a jerk, yeah. and this, like, makes Bella snap and like get super bloodlusty and she's like I want to fucking rip all their limbs off <laughs> and then and she channels that into like into being a shield being a super magic psychic or whatever um and I just thought I liked that moment uh because it then it, it works well with the counter moment where then Bella smiles at her it kind of mm-hmm. plays off each other and then the movie didn't do Jane smiling at her which I I don't know this is a little detail but also, they get rid of Garrett's cool speech about freedom and tyranny. I thought this speech would be in the movie, but I put a note as I was reading the book that they would 100% give it to somebody else. And uh, not, yeah, that was what I thought would happen, too. But they just cut it out completely. Yeah. And they do kind of give a, a hint of it to Edward at an earlier point yeah, in the movie. Yeah, they give, like... A couple of the lines, lines or something ideas to yeah. Edward to Edward when he's trying to rally all the witnesses to come fight with him basically mm-hmm. like in earlier in the movie they kind of give some of it to that but there's this big moment where um Garrett like is talking to all the witnesses who came with the Volturi to try to sway them essentially and he gives this big rousing speech yeah about because he's a he's a, an American revolutionary soldier yeah. or whatever uh, about yeah, about tyranny and stuff, and it's a fun moment, and they got a great guy for it. Lee Pace would have crushed it. We'll talk about him later, but I was, I was looking for once I saw who they had playing that role, I was like, oh man, I hope he gives that speech. That'll be fun. I was a little bit sad that the movie left out some of uh, I don't remember how they pronounced his name. Nahuel. Nahuel, the the other half vampire, half yeah. human. They left out some of his backstory. Yes. A lot of his backstory. Yeah. Um, like the fact that his father, the vampire, is running around making half vampires on purpose. Yeah, that was wild. Because he's creating a master race. Yeah. That's super wild. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. Yeah. He's not, he's got sisters and stuff. Uh, yeah. He's got a bunch of half sisters who are also like half, half vampires. Vampire. He's not the only one, but he's just the one that's there. Yeah, so his dad's, like, doing this on purpose, and the Volturi are like, maybe we should go talk to him. Yeah, now. that is the last. They're like, maybe we should talk to him. And they're like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they they do trim down his his role quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Eh, he's, he's, he's a very similar sort of deus ex machina in the... <laughs> yeah. I mean, not really, but kind of in the book. It's, he's, he's a very limited role in both, except he shows up... Um, 
he has some he's he's part of the denouement in the in the book that's not in the movie which it's fine where there that was a weird conversation again i thought the whole end of this book felt very rushed and weird but there there's a moment at the end of the book where they're talking about how he's like staring at bella mm-hmm. and and she thinks it's because she thinks he's, he's like thinking about, about renesme renesme because she's the only one of his kind who's not, not his, his sister, sister. <laughs> and, and then but edward's like no he's staring at you because he's realized he realized that he's not that since you didn't die giving birth that that means he's not inherently evil or something. He I, says it's so weird. he says like that he's always thought of himself as like inherently a monster because the first thing that he did was kill his mother. Yeah. Um. But because Bella is still alive, he sees like what could have been. I yeah, guess it's a weird. Again, it feels very half baked to me. It's yeah. Like the the whole denouement, the much of the end of this book. The last like couple chapters, I was like, because I feel like if anything, the yeah. existence of this family should make him more upset, more upset and depressed. Right, I one would think, but I, you know, whatever. Alrighty then, that was it for better in the book. Let's go ahead and talk about what was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. So during Bella's first hunt, we mentioned that in the book, she smells some hikers mm-hmm. in the woods where they shouldn't be. And I thought the movie added some interest, some stakes to that by having the, that be like a, a climber hanging off of a cliff. Yeah. And she like, she actually does go after him at first. Yeah. Where well, she does in the book too. A, li- a little of, but, bit. Not yeah. as much as in the movie. No, because she starts climbing the cliff. Like she has to take yeah. an extra step of which looked really terrifying. That's why I did, well terrifying and terrible. I didn't like making him a climber. I liked the idea of it, but yeah. again, it's done poorly. Like the way she looks climbing the cliff <laughs> looks, looks really scary. It looks it just looks bad. It looks dumb. It made me laugh. Like there's a shot in particular from above of her like ah, like climbing up the cliff that looks ugh. <laughs> and so I didn't like it because they didn't execute it well. But I did like the idea of it. And that was a good idea. On paper, that idea mm-hmm, makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. In execution, maybe it didn't work for me quite as much. But I really loved seeing the Jacob and Charlie conversation where Jacob yes. explains. Because this all happens off off screen, quote unquote, in the yeah, book. In the book, Jacob comes back to the Colin house and like relates to them. He's like, oh, I told, by the way, I told Charlie that uh, I'm a werewolf. Also, uh, that you guys are weird. But I didn't tell him vampires, but like kind of almost did, kind of. He kind of assumes. Anyways, he's on his way over. <laughs> it's such a weird that moment in the book. I was like, "What the is? What the fuck is happening?" <laughs> like, this, I was not. That was not a turn I was expecting in the book. Was Jacob just like just telling like Charlie rogue. everything? I was like, "Wait, that's the direction we went with this." All right. So we don't. We get to hear about his conversation with with yeah. Charlie, but we don't get to see it when we hear that uh, Jacob like starts stripping his clothes off and then transforms into a werewolf in front yeah. of Charlie. And I was like, I was reading and I was taking notes and I was like, <laughs> this better actually be a scene in the movie. They did it. They did it. They get the whole and the stripping and everything and Charlie being like, what are you doing? Like, what's happening? <laughs> Poor Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's a fun scene and he turns into a werewolf and I was glad that, yeah, I was glad we got to see it. And um, then we have some human lessons 
for Bella before Charlie gets there. Yeah. And a little detail, like it's mostly spot on. Yeah, you, I had, you it had it in the movie nailed it because they say like the lines are all the same, like, oh, move your shoulders, look like you're, you know, like yeah. all the little details are straight out of the book, like all the things they tell her to do to look more human. Um, uh, yeah, I, I yeah. Didn't movie um, but there was one little detail that I thought was funny. Um, where she like accidentally moves too fast to sit down in a chair and like slides across the room. Yeah, and yeah. they're like, "Okay, try it a little slower." A little slower, yeah, yeah. It's a fun little extra ad that wasn't in the movie or wasn't in the book. And they also took something else um, from Jacob's story about oh, yeah. when he was talking to Charlie. Um, Charlie asks Jacob in the book if Bella also turns into an animal and the movie moves that so that when Charlie is there, he just directly asks her. Yeah. He asks Bella. He's like, you don't turn into an animal too, do you? Yeah. No, she's not that cool or whatever Jacob says. I did. I was glad, uh, the, cause I don't think the, the movie already had their stupid name scene. Um, so they didn't want to do it again. Uh, so I was glad that the movie skipped over explaining what uh, Renesmee's middle name was, uh, which the book does. Uh, Bella explains to Charlie that Renesmee's middle name is Carly because it's a combination of Charlie and Carlisle. I mean, sure. Uh, why not? Sure. Why not? Why not make that her first name? And Renesme the middle that's, name. Carly Renesme is much better. Carly Renesme. Here's a pro tip. If you want to give your kid a weird fucking name, make it their middle name. Yeah. Bless your child. Yeah. Do them a solid. Yeah. Make it the middle name. Yeah, for sure. Make it the middle name. And then they can choose if they want to use it or not. Yeah. It's up to them. <laughs> they can just like go by yeah. an initial. Yeah. Yeah, you know, people don't. Half the time, people don't even know your middle name. Yeah. Like, so it's fine. But if you want to use it, you can, and then you have an excuse. Like, if it's a cool, if you really like your middle name, you're like, that's cool. Like, if you get to the point where you're like, actually, I think the parents were onto something. This is a pretty cool name. You can just use it, and you have a reason. You're like, it's my middle name. It's what I go by. But otherwise, do that kid a solid. <laughs> I thought it was cool that the movie uh, we got to actually see Irina go to the Volturi to report the Collins for having this supposed immortal child. I was sorry. I got distracted. I agree. But I got distracted trying to think what my, what my wait, no, what that. Oh, wait, are you trying to think of your parent combo name? Yes, I'm trying to think of what my Renesme name would be <laughs> because it's wait, but she. OK, so it's the grandparents, right? Yes. I don't know my grandparents first names. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know on my dad's side, but I didn't know that part of my family for a long time. So I feel like I have an excuse and you don't. Oh man, I'm going to have to cut this out. My parents don't listen, but. (laughs) (laughs) We also get here in the movie, the uh, explanation of what immortal children are and what happened to the Denali vampire's mother. Mm Mm-hmm which is much earlier in the book. It's like at the very beginning of the book. Yeah. Um, and it's like fairly similar mm-hmm. explanation, but it, it makes more sense here in the story. Makes more sense here in the movie because it's yeah. two movies. Like, yeah, yeah. But like, I think it makes sense in the beginning of the book. Like, I think it makes sense where it is yeah, in the book. Yeah, it doesn't not make sense where it is in the book. Yeah, because it's at the wedding or before the wedding when they're when they're coming to the wedding. I think mm-hmm. it makes sense there. But I think you're right that putting it in this movie makes way more sense than yeah. putting it in the first movie. Yeah. 
But since this is all one book, I think Patty. I mean, if it had been in the first movie, we would have had to retread that territory anyway. Yeah. Because it's a whole new movie. Yeah. Uh, also, Jane just fucking chucks that toddler into the fire. That shit was hilarious. Just, it's amazing. She's just smiling at it and then just throws it in a bonfire. <laughs> that has to be like the banner video on the subreddit, uh, child free subreddit. It's just, <laughs> it's just Jane chucking a toddler in a fire. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. Anyways. Um, And I thought that whole part was kind of cool. It's Mm -hmm. a little... It's, again, for a budget as high as this movie is, everything just looks a little cheap. That Mm -hmm. moment... Because it's, like, period. Yeah. You can tell it's on a soundstage with, like, a sort of, you know, CG backgrounds and stuff. Yes, hello. Was it because I said soundstage? Maybe. Sorted. I don't know what I said that set off Siri, but <laughs> um, you can tell it's uh, it's it, you know it it just has that look of like a cheap fantasy moment, and mm-hmm. it's just a little. Th- but that being said, overall the scene kind of works. It's kind of cool. We get this kid with the blood on his face, and they're like burning, ripping limbs and heads off. I liked it overall, um, and so I was glad to actually see that versus just have somebody tell a story about it or whatever. Yeah, and I don't know if it necessarily makes sense. Uh, but I did like that the movie had Bella and Jacob and um, Renesmee travel up to Denali to go talk to the Denali clan about mm-hmm. Renesmee. In the book, they just stay there and they come to them, which probably yes. is what would happen and make sense because they need them to come there anyway. Like, yeah, I think the book's version makes more like practical sense. But I just liked the the fact that we got to see a different location, <laughs> like go up to Alaska and see like the mountains and stuff. Yeah, there. I think this portion of the movie where the Collins are like globe trotting around, rounding up vampire witnesses. I think the movie made the good decision to include more locations, yeah, more introductions demonstrations of different powers and lifestyles whereas we don't really get any of that in the book like after the denali clan gets there it's kind of just summarized like the different people yeah it's just like who shows up it's like it's it's like reading the begat section of the bible it's like like, all right yeah but no i agree that going around like doing a little bit of a globe trout and kind of like montage of them Mm -hmm going into yeah the different lifestyles we actually see I, I, I thought it was interesting that um you know garrett actually his interaction with the he's um we actually see an, a vampire eating a person in the yeah movie. he's hunting yeah when they he's find like hunting him. when they come across him and that also drives home because it's some it's something mentioned in the book but we don't ever see them hunting you know that they are a lot of these vampires that are coming are not the only ones that are vegetarians or whatever, you know, are uh, the Denali people mm-hmm. and and then the Cullens. The rest of them are just normal vampires. Yeah. They just eat people. Yeah. And we talk about it a little bit in the book, but actually seeing like a scene where one of them eats a, somebody in front of like Emmett and Rosalie or whatever, I thought was interesting. I also liked them adding the scene where the Vulturi go and uh, they chase down one of the vampires that Carlisle tried to like have come be a witness or asked to or something Mm -hmm. and they like confront him about it and that sort of thing it's a it's a good little moment to to give us the vulturi again before the end of the book because once again we just hear about them in this book we don't ever know what they're doing (laughs) like because it's all from bella's perspective or jacob's for a while but this book the the, the second half is all from bella's perspective Mm -hmm. 
So we never know what the Volturi are up to or anything. And then they just show up at the end. I like to get actually at least once going over there and seeing them. And then like, uh, kind of, it ups the stakes and the tension for them. We get to see Alex's Alex power, who we haven't really in any of the other movies or anything. We didn't know anything about, um, and see Jane again, just kind of remind us who all these people are. I think it makes a lot of sense. And this isn't necessarily better in the movie versus the book, but it's just better in, it's not better in this movie versus this book, but to me, this is better in this movie versus the other movies is that they just commit to Bella doing a voiceover. Mm-hmm. They should have just done it. They should have just all done of it them. all of the, all of the movies for all of them. You're not making high art. It doesn't like, <laughs> no, but for real, like, because you know, there's that, there's that, there, there's an aversion to voiceovers and some, because it, it is often seen as cheap and like a sort of a, an easy way to kind of cop out of like more effective filmmaking. Mm hmm. Have you seen the rest of your movies? Like, have you seen... You're not making... uh, Yeah, that's what you're making. Pulpy, fun, like, blockbusters. You can have a... It's fine. And this movie uses it more. It's still, in my opinion, doesn't use it enough. But it uses Mm -hmm. it more than, like, any of them, I think. Honestly, even even Twilight. Twilight had the most... Yeah. Other than this one. And I just wish they all would have. And it's so weird to me because the first Breaking Dawn Part 1 had, like, none of it. And it's the same directors, like, and yeah. then this one had quite a bit, and it, I don't know. I don't know, and it is, now that we're here at the end of the series, I do wonder what this series would have looked like had it all been directed by the same director. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been interesting. I don't mind mixing up directors sometimes, and they mm-hmm. kept the same writer, which I think is a good thing, mm-hmm. and, and they also already had a plan. It's not like... Mixing up directors can work, like with Harry Potter, I think that worked, because yeah. it kind of matured with... Yeah. Um, with, along with, with the, the story, series. like the kind of style of the directors kind of changed because Christopher Columbus is the very bright, fun, you know, version, and then right. Alfonso Cuarón twists it, and then it keeps going. I yeah, I thought that uh, that all, I, although I do wish Alfonso Cuarón had just done the rest of them, but <laughs> personally, <laughs> but uh, I don't mind switching directors. But it would have been interesting to see one director do the whole thing with like a, a unified mm-hmm. vision. I think mm-hmm. also could have been interesting, like Peter Jackson. Was yeah, I, I feel like this is more of something like that than it yeah. is like Harry Potter, because this story, I mean, it's not told over a span of it's like two years, a ton of years yeah. like Harry Potter is. No. We don't really need the story to mature along with the characters. No, really, they don't really no. change that much i think the only thing you could make an argument which would have made sense is if you and if it it was in a slightly different book series if if bella became a vampire halfway through and then you made a director's change there Mm -hmm. and you did a a a a different and it became a different type of aesthetically and thematically different book there or Mm -hmm. movies there would make sense maybe in the same way that like harry potter kind of does over the course of it progressing i think if this one if she had turned into a vampire at the end of like new moon or at the, in sometime in eclipse and you switched to the director there and you had a more rom rom commy or something type director for the first couple mm-hmm. and then a more like horror action type yeah. of director for yeah. the second few, I think maybe that would have been an interesting way to do it. Um, they ended up kind of just with rom com directors throughout from my yeah. thought because Bill Condon is like kind of does like well, yeah like rom com stuff. Um, anyways, I don't know. I, or at least rom drum stuff, whatever. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong though. I think it would have been in, more interesting with one director. I liked that this movie gave us a little scene of Jacob training some little baby werewolves. <laughs> yeah. Cause it is mentioned in the book that 
all of the vampires being there causes like a werewolf explosion. Yeah, but it's just mentioned at the very end. Yeah. Like Bella's just like, oh, there's a lot more werewolves than I was expecting to be here in this field. And apparently Jacob never mentioned to apparently her at any not. point. Like, oh, by the way, half another half dozen people turned into yeah. werewolves. But it makes sense to bring that up earlier. Yeah. yeah. And also, like, it, it's just kind of a... It, it's a cute little scene at first. Yeah. And then they start chasing the other vampires and it's like, oh God. <laughs> yeah. I also thought the movie uh, made a good addition of showing what Bella and Edward got Charlie for Christmas. So they give him like a fishing trip out of town, making sure that he's not going to be in town. Yeah. Which totally tracks with how the Cullens handle that type of thing. Yeah. It's like, eh, go on Just, a trip. Yeah, here's Get a trip. Here. Yeah. And then the other change that the movie makes on Christmas to morning. Uh, <laughs> Christmas morning, uh, the movie. So we see uh, Jacob give Renesme a bracelet yep. in the movie. And the movie wisely leaves out that this bracelet is basically the Quileute version of a promise ring. <laughs> She's like five. Yep. Yep. It's still weird, Stephanie. Yep, still weird. Still weird. Still weird. Yeah, the movie just leaves it out. It's like, oh, look, you got our cute bracelet. Cute. Like you know, like a fun uncle. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and the movie can't entirely divorce itself from that, of this, but it tries a yeah. little bit. Like, they, I mean, they have the big confrontation, and we'll talk about that, but, like, when, when Bella finds out. But the movie, like, kind of doesn't ever want to bring it up ever again until the very end we get like a fl- uh, a flash from Al- Alice's visions vision of uh Jacob and Renesmee on the beach as adults mm-hmm. i guess and then Edward and Bella show up and it's like they oh they're all happy together and i think that you know she's she's older now so i don't know it but other than that after like the part where Bella freaks out we like don't ever talk about yeah the the movie is basically like, we're going to ignore this. <laughs> yeah. There is a short scene uh, the night before the big battle that I really liked that wasn't in the book where all the vampires sit around a bonfire and talk about different historical battles that yes. they've been involved in. That was a ton of fun. I yeah. liked that a lot. Um, just kind of sharing war stories and we get uh, spend a little more time. Uh, that movie actually did a pretty good job giving a fair amount of time to all of the other vampires that even the mm-hmm. ones that we I feel like Alistair has like some moments in the movie that I feel like wasn't expecting based mm-hmm. on his role in the book because he just disappears. Yeah, he just um, stays in the attic. Well, and, and he did, he bails. On yeah, them, uh, which I don't remember. I guess he did in the movie. I can't. Remember yeah, he does. He leaves. Yeah. Um, but he has like a couple extra, like even like one little like one on one scene with Bella that I was like, why is it? I don't remember that from the book. I guess it was in there. I don't remember. And then the scene right after that is is uh, Edward and Carlisle watching that, mm-hmm. and they have like a little moment together, and it's a little awkward. It was a little awkward. It's a little awkward, but I thought I liked where they're going for. Where like I like Bella or Edward thanks Carlisle for like turning him into a vampire. Basically, he's yeah. like, thanks for this life, but never. You know, I liked the inclusion of because it I liked the inclusion of that sort of tender, um, vulnerable moment between a father and son, quote unquote, because it it's a I don't know. It's something you don't see a ton in, mm-hmm. in movies. And I thought it was handled pretty well. Uh, it is a little awkward, but it's not it's too a little bad. awkward, but it is also a nice moment of Edward not brooding and hating himself. Yeah, yeah that's another. Yeah, that's so another there's thing. that. That's another thing I liked about it. 
I also love, uh, so we get to the big final battle. Uh, we're back to the big final battle in the movie, and we're going to talk about this forever. I love the costume choices for the Volturi in this movie. <laughs> in particular, I love that Aro looks like he's straight out, uh, straight up about to be like, when I was a young boy. <laughs> he's wearing the black parade. Yeah. He has exactly the black parade fucking, uh, uh, like military band, like whatever that is, uh, thing that, uh, that, uh, yeah, I, I love it. I love it so much. Um, I love, I love him in this movie. He's incredible. Uh, and we're going to talk more about him, but it's just everything about him. And it's described in the book. His personality definitely was there in the book. Mm-hmm. His sort of weird, aloof, like he's villainous, but, but like gleeful gleefully villainous but also like you aren't sure if he's actually villainous or yeah. just uh, like you don't know what his motivation is and i think that's what makes him like, super interesting he could just be doing it for the lulls yeah he's almost like a troll but not but he's not as obnoxious as a troll, but you're not, you're just never sure what his deal is. Mm-hmm. And I love that about him. And it is there in the book, but the movie really amps it up to like 11. And I love that so much. And it, it's, it's primarily Michael Sheen. Uh, his performance is incredible. A little detail. I don't know if it was him or the, <laughs> the, uh, the director or whatever, but when he, when he first sees Bella in person for the first time and since they last saw each other, whatever, and he says her name, he says it like with an Italian accent. Yeah. It's like, Bella. And I, it's a little <laughs> detail, but it's, it's, oh, it's so perfect. I love it so much. Ah, young Bella. And then he sees Renesme <laughs> and he fucking laughs. Oh like, my God. I, I was, scream laughed when that happened. We were very unprepared for his laugh. In I the was moment. wholly unprepared. I I love him. I love his performance. It is so much fun. And that laugh when he sees Renesme is I couldn't even begin to do it justice. I don't remember, but it's it's delightful. It comes you should out of probably nowhere. Probably just cut it in. I'll just cut it in if you haven't watched the movie. It's incredible. It's incredible. Let's talk about it. The Let's. big change. Oh, the that biggest. Had to blow people's minds in the movie theaters. We get a fake battle. Not the worst idea anyone's ever had. No. I think it was a great idea. Yeah. Honestly. I think it was a very this is why we have it in better in the movie. I don't know if it makes sense in the book. I don't know if it would make sense to have in the book. It would be hard to do. It would be hard to do. Yeah. Also, because it ends up being Alice's like future vision, yeah, and Bella is not privy to those, yeah, it's so not part of her perspective. How, so how would you do it? The movie is able to use the fact that we're not in Bella's perspective all the time mm-hmm. to do this. I think it's incredibly clever because that was a thing when I read the book. I was like, "Oh, they just, oh, they just sort it out." And then they leave. It was so hard to keep a poker face this entire series when you kept saying somebody has to die. Incredibly anticlimactic in some sense. I get it. I don't get I think it works okay. I didn't hate how the book resolved things. I the the way that the book does it, I like the idea 
that the Volturi are really such cowards yeah. that they won't fight a fight if they don't have a huge advantage. Yeah. Like, I like that idea. And the movie takes that, though. Yeah. And just gives a concrete example of their cowardice, too. Because, I mean, that's what it's banking on. Like, this whole thing, part of it is Aro being seeing this future vision and thinking that he's going to die and then mm-hmm. and then yeah being a coward and be like no nope, never mind yeah we're good and it's the same thing same idea but yeah because we get to do i truly whoever came up with that idea in the writers room they had to been like oh that's a really good idea <laughs> that's because they actually what they did is they all sat there for hours like how do we get to have our battle yeah how do we can't end this big franchise and not have a big fight scene at the end yeah we have to and then somebody came up with that idea and they're like and it makes perfect sense oh yeah you get to have your cake and eat it too it's it's wild how much sense it makes given it Mm -hmm. like breaks no rules it it totally follows it, 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 it doesn't even change, like, thematically what happens in the Mm-mm. book. Like, it's still, like I said, the still the same idea of Aro being, of, of them being cowards and not wanting to, the, to lose the fight, you know, not wanting to fight when the odds are even and that sort of thing. Perfect sense. And you get to have this big fuck-off battle yeah, where everybody dies. big batshit battle. You get emotionally resonant deaths. Everybody gets to show off what their powers can do. Um... Marcus's long suffering finally yeah. when they kill him. <laughs> Just so excited to die. It's so great. Uh and I mean it and it starts I would have loved if I wasn't a book reader to have been in or to have watched this movie with some yeah, somebody who loved the books. And went into this movie, and then that scene starts. I, I want reaction. There's got to be reaction cameras, right, of people in movie <laughs> theaters when that scene starts playing out, because that's one of the best moments of like pulling one over on an audience. Yeah, gotta be ever. Yeah, that's the other thing that makes it so incredible is you get you get to, not only get to have your cake and eat it too. You get to you get to actually like surprise and like. And and fucking troll an entire audience. Like, you get to just... Because they would never... you never see it coming. No. And it starts, and then it rips Carlisle's head off, and you're like, the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, Jaws had to be on the floor. Had to be. Because you don't see... You, and it... But... Because it, it, it rolls in perfectly, and you don't realize what's going on. I would have paid so much money to be sitting in theaters with people who loved the books watching this for the first time. I need because you never watched this back when you were no you, you dropped out. Yeah, I got to talk to some of my friends who were like were big book fans, like my coworkers and stuff who were book fans. And if they, I don't, I don't know if they like ever made it to the final movies or whatever. But I would love to know some reactions of people who loved the books and then watched this scene like in theaters yeah. opening night. Yeah, because especially you would never see it coming because I had heard tell of this. I had it spoiled slightly prior to seeing the movie. Cause I knew there was like, I, but I didn't know what it meant. Mm-hmm. I had heard like, there's like a, a fake battle or something or an, yeah. I like, I, 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 just I knew, I knew there was a battle that didn't actually happen. Yeah. And I figured that it was probably an Alice vision. See, I didn't know anything about the details. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't know, at least at the time I had no idea. Like, 
I didn't know Alice could see that. I didn't know anything about it. I just right. knew there was like a battle that that they undid or something. Like that was like the thing I had heard, like through culturally, like there was some big battle that doesn't actually happen. Yeah. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like, what does that <laughs> even mean? Uh, I was like, maybe there's time travel or something. Like, uh, who knows? It's yeah, you would never see it coming. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> Alice drop kicks Aro across the field. <laughs> The whole thing is fucking incredible. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jasper gets decapitated. Uh, yeah, Seth dies. That one was... Everybody, like, everybody dies. It's incredible. Uh, and then <laughs> that moment, Alice, like, feeds Jane to Sam. Yeah. They... they. That's the thing that makes it so great, is they're like, all right, we're already doing this thing that's fucking insane. Let's go over the yeah. moon with it. Let's, Let's take it to 11. Turn it up to 11. Balls to the walls. Let's do Everything. That had to be so fun. That had to be the best, the best part of making <laughs> any of these movies. It was just like, yeah, in no way. Like that. It's like because characters get to do things that don't even necessarily make perfect sense. Like mm-hmm. Alice feeding Jane to, although because that's why Jasper died. But it just, I don't know. It just all feels so crazy and over the top. It's like, it's like a fanfic moment that makes sense. Yeah. Because it didn't happen. <laughs> like, it's incredible. I loved it so much. Okay. Maybe. Uh, remember in our prequel when you had that quote from Robert Pattinson that was like, I don't know why we haven't been doing this the whole time. Oh! Maybe he was talking about doing bonkers, balls-to-the-wall fight scenes. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what it was. Because it had to be fun to film, oh, too. Oh, God, yeah, it had to be fun for sure. That's, yeah, such a fun, such a good choice. It's my favorite thing about this movie. I thought the movie made the good choice to leave out Stephanie's weird retroactive explanation that the wolves aren't actually real werewolves, though. (laughs) Yeah. Like, does it matter, Steph, at this point? Does anyone care? And then I love in the book, like, Edward is explaining this to Bella. Yeah. That they're actually, like, shapeshifters. They're not true children of the moon. There are children of the moon, like, in China or something, yeah. who are actual werewolves. Actual werewolves. Who, like, yeah, turn, turn moon, the moon or the moon. full moon or whatever. And Bella's like, you, why'd you never mention this? And Edward's like, it never came up. And I was like, I see. Okay, <laughs> oh, Stephanie. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I love this scene and the uh, in the movie because it's... It's played straight in the book, and it's gross and stupid. It's so cringy. Uh, it's so cringy. Um, and in the movie, they do a similar thing, but they play it with the appropriate amount of uh, farce. Farce, yes. <laughs> um, and the, right before they're about to die in the book, in the they think they're about to die. The they think the battle's about to happen, and uh, Jacob or Edward turns to Jacob, and I don't even remember the full context of this. But he turns to him and says to Jacob, my brother, my son. <laughs> what? No. Again, it's played completely straight and it's supposed to be like this, this, oh, this heartwarming moment between them. But it doesn't make sense with their characters necessarily. Mm-mm. And so the movie takes a little, they get rid of that line completely. And then after the whole thing ends, they give this little moment where Jacob like jokes to Edward so should I start calling you dad? And Edward just says no. As <laughs> a much better dynamic. It's a it, yeah. It, it's a funny and it, 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 again sort of uh, takes the piss at this ridiculous, weird, imprinting nonsense, uh, problematic bullshit. And also, it just makes more sense with their characters. Like yeah. they're even though they're friends at this point, kind of they're not like. 
they're not bosom buddies. Yeah, and it's I it's like I feel like Stephanie Meyer was going for like the die next. I want the 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 Gimli and Legolas. Going for how about side by side with a friend? Side by side with a friend. (laughs) Like that's what she was going for, like that kind of moment. But it just doesn't. It didn't doesn't doesn't mm -mm, work. mm -mm. And again, partially because it becomes this weird like. because of the nature of, of Jacob and Resume's relationship and the fact that they're not, it's not a, it's all weird. It's, ugh. Uh, and we both had this note. I like that they go back to the meadow. Yeah. For the last scene in the book or that in the makes movie. In the a movie. lot of sense. In the book, they're in their cottage yeah. for this scene. Which is fine. Which is fine. It makes sense too. But going back to the meadow, I was like, oh yeah, that yeah. perfectly, perfect makes sense. And then I was surprised that Stephanie didn't do that. Cause yeah, it, it's, I feel like Stephanie Meyer forgets that the meadow exists. Yeah, because the movies go there way more often than she does. Than she does. I also love that it is hilarious that Stephanie Meyer gave them literally on a silver platter a Bella and Jacob music video highlight, or not Jacob, a Bella and Edward music video highlight reel for their movie. She wrote that into the book because we get that in the movie at the end. Here is this. Because Bella lowers her, yeah, is able to lower her. Lowers her shield so that Edward can hear her thoughts. Yeah. For the first time. And then she shows him all of their time together, yeah, basically. Yeah, like her memories of it. Which is basically what happens in the movie, or in the book. Yeah. Uh, and so the movie was like, guys, guys, we get to do our own fanfic Bella <laughs> Edward music video in our movie. <laughs> Except uh, then in the movie, she shows him, like, stuff from New Moon. And I was like, why would you yeah, include she, that? She shows him leaving her. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, when she's, like, depressed and yeah. looks like a skeleton. Yeah. yeah. It's the good and the bad. It's the whole the whole of their relationship. And also, my last note, I will fight anybody. I don't care. That Thousand Years song is pretty fucking good. I fucking love that song. <laughs> anybody song. who doesn't can get fucked. And it's a great song. Uh, it's, I was written for this movie. Yeah. All the music was written for this movie, apparently. But, yeah, I, uh, I know it's, it's probably been memed at this point, but I, I like that song. It's a good song. That's it for Better in the Movie. Let's go ahead and talk for the last time about what the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Not ever, just for this, (laughs) for this series, just for this movie series. For Twilight. (laughs) Uh, Edward has a line right after Bella wakes up as a vampire. I don't think the movie uses it in exactly the same place, but it is the same line where he says, like, you're stronger than I am right now. Yeah. She has that that newborn strength. Newborn strength. Also, the creepy baby has creepy baby powers. Oh, yeah. It can can mind meld you. Yeah. It can Vulcan mind meld, basically. (laughs) Kind of. Put its put its thoughts into your head. And then we've mentioned um, Bella and Jacob's entire first confrontation over him imprinting on Renesmee. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the same. Um, they even get a lot of the same lines in there. But... You nicknamed my daughter after the Loch Ness Monster? I love that moment. <laughs> <laughs> the movie crushed it. I yeah. thought Kristen Stewart crushed that moment. That whole scene, yeah, is really great. But yeah. Uh, that line, and then she says, like, a moronic, wolfy claim. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that whole scene's great. And then we never talk about it again, because gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the movie gets the, uh, we get an endless sex scene. It's mm-hmm. not endless. It only, it's 
couple minutes long. But uh, that's the thing in the book that after that first night, after she's a human again, sorry, human again, what am I talking about? After she becomes a vampire, uh, they have sex forever. And Bella's like, we don't have to ever stop having sex. And he's like, nope. The end. I was like, is the book going to end right now? <laughs> That's where I would have ended it. Yeah, right? Vampires don't sleep, but they do fuck. Yeah. It's like, we don't have to eat. We don't have to do anything. We just literally have sex forever. All right. <laughs> and uh, we talked about it earlier, but in the, the whole scene with Charlie and Bella, I thought, apart from the parts that they improved, uh, and again, it's, it's, it's a credit to Billy Burke. Billy Burke is mm-hmm. his name. Um, who just does a really good job, job as Charlie. He's like fourth build in this movie, too. Yeah. Yeah, he's like the first non of the, you know, Jacob, Edward, or Bella top build, which kind of makes sense, I guess. It's like him, then Carlisle. That's mm-hmm. probably sexism, though. Alice should probably be higher, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was determined by, like, how, like, famous or well-paid It's determined by were. how much your agent argues on your behalf i'm gotcha. fairly certain yeah so he's got a good agent is I, what you're th- telling I, me. I think that tends to be involved yeah it's how much your your agent can argue and get you at least i think in terms of billing i don't even know it's complicated i'm sure it has to do with like sag shit or whatever so <laughs> because then there's the other things where like it's a, and also it's like a thing if you could get like a with or an and yeah that's like different but also better than just being one of the other nameless if you're not first you want a with or an and <laughs> like because uh michael sheen gets a with in this one yeah. with michael sheen anyways <laughs> <laughs> and we do get bella's arm wrestling match with mm-hmm. emmett and then afterwards she starts punching a rock yeah for fun just destroying the boulder the only thing that's not in that scene is that uh, renesmee's there like laughing at it mm-hmm which I thought would have been fun, but I'm actually glad it's not because it's a little terrifying demon oh, that, baby. That was creepy baby, that laughing? baby was laughing. No. no. They probably had that originally and they were like, this is <laughs> the MPAA was like, get that this is X rated. Get that out of your film. <laughs> Children won't sleep for weeks. That laughing demon CG monster. <laughs> we mentioned the gaudy necklace and the note from Aro. Yeah. Thought the movie nailed that. Yeah, they have it. Much. They just don't follow yeah. up with it at the end of. Yeah, yeah, it's it. in there, and the note says like the same the exact thing. same thing. Yeah, we look forward to seeing you in person or mm-hmm. meeting you in person or something like that. I thought the movie basically nailed the scene where Irina sees yeah uh, Jacob it's and Bella. Much and identical Renesmee. other than the flying. Baby. Yeah, and then gets upset and runs away. I will say this, and this is a, mo- a complaint I had in general, is that I don't think that the books or the movies until this one had ever really stressed how important Laurent was to Irina to the point where Mm -hmm. she's so upset and mad that she's like willing to like, well, partially it's because she thinks it's an immortal child, but also because of the Jacob being there with the werewolf that, and like I, when I read the first one, twilight or whatever, or or new moon, whenever it comes up that they were in a relationship to me that the, it sounded at the time, like they were like hooking up Mm -hmm. or something. Like I didn't think they were like a like a pair like in the same way that like Alice and Jasper are. I felt like the vibe that I got from it was that maybe she was like more into him than he was okay, into her. Maybe that's it. Cause yeah, I just never got when Bella meets him in the meadow, it doesn't seem like he's that's, like particularly distraught to be apart from her. I guess that's what I mean. Is like it seems like he was just roaming around with these yeah. other people. Like it so I never got the vibe that when that's why I say they're yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's like they it seemed like they were just hooking up because he's like running around the countryside with these other two 
Like, what are they? What? Why is he? He doesn't. Well, he hooks up with Arena after. Oh, is it after? Yeah. Okay. Even but still. then he but obviously then he comes he leaves to, at some leaves point. to come yeah. back to kill Bella for Victoria. Yeah. I that just felt like something that wasn't worked out in Stephanie Meyer's head, and then yeah. later on was like needed some extra motivation for Irina. So she's like, oh, they were like they were in love, and she's still so upset about it after a year or two or I don't know. It just it didn't track to me. I just never felt like that was properly set up. Uh, there's a moment in both the book and the movie when Alice has her vision and realizes that the Volturi are going to come for them where she drops a vase full of flowers. Yeah. Which she would never do accidentally. So No, no of course not. She's way too, way too agile. Uh, we both have the exact same note. Benjamin is the fucking Avatar. He's the Avatar. Avatar is here to save the day and restore balance, everyone. Yeah. Our assessment of this is helped by the fact that we just watched We literally that. just finished Avatar, uh, The Last Airbender, like, this week, last yeah. weekend. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> I remember reading the book. I was like, holy shit. He's the Avatar. He's like, oh, he can, uh, he can control all four elements. I was like, okay. <laughs> great. All right. I see you, Stephanie Meyer, Avatar fan. <laughs> so, the introduction of the Amazon Oof. vampires... Um, kind of equally problematic Oof. in both. Maybe a little more problematic in the books because we are getting Bella's commentary. Commentary. On it. Yeah. Bella noted racist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're like wearing like only animal skins yeah. and like and Bella says, I'd never met any vampires I'm less civilized. civilized. <laughs> and they're the only native vampires. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Talk about how uncivilized. I was like, oh, boy, this is um, this is going to be great. And yeah, they are now, to be fair, they are to some extent, to be fair, they are from like a remote. Sure. At least that's yeah. the idea, I assume, is yeah. that they're supposed to be from like some remote, you know, uh, uh, Amazonian tribe in the in the in the rainforest or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, So that the the attire may be makes sure, sense maybe. to some extent I, I, i'm not saying what's in the movie is actually remotely accurate because i'm sure it's not actually <laughs> what i'm saying is that the fact that they're not wearing like modern clothes or whatever it, it potentially works maybe i don't know but the need to comment about how uncivilized they are yeah. is a, an interesting choice let's say <laughs> and by interesting choice i mean racist that's what i mean <laughs> clay set wasn't clear <laughs> Uh, then we have Alistair, who stays in the attic the whole time. Yeah. He's an attic vampire. He is an attic vampire. Uh, I really like the Romanian vampires. Mm-hmm. They're fun in the movie. Uh, I'm pretty sure neither of them are played by Romanians. So, uh, But <laughs> <laughs> I did like, I liked them in the books and I liked them in the movie. I love their like, their backstory about how they were... It's a fun to me. It feels a little bit like something from what we do in the shadows or something yes. where they yeah. were the old like guard who like they used to run things because, you know, they're like the traditional yeah. like Romanian vampires. But now they got pushed out by the Italian vampires and they're real bitter about it. And like, <laughs> you know, I love that dynamic and I was wishing there was more with it. But it, it felt a little self-aware and tongue in cheek. And mm-hmm. it was like a fun little thing. Their whole, their whole, their whole beef with the Italian vampires. I do love that. They just show up like, yeah, we're just here in case the Volturi get their asses kicked. Yeah. We just want to see it happen. Yeah. We just want to watch them lose. Yeah. That's uh, fun. I like that a lot. 
I thought the movie pretty much nailed the scene where Kate is trying to train Bella to to project her shield by just like zapping Edward yeah. over and over. <laughs> And then in the movie, she threatens to get Renesmee. Doesn't she actually go get Renesmee in the book? Am I crazy? I think they do. Yeah. I know she doesn't actually shock her because Bella actually does it. Mm -hmm. But she actually, they actually go to do it. I guess in the movie, they're like, that's a little too. She's one of the good guys. Maybe we don't have her like threaten to yeah. harm a child <laughs> like a fucking baby. <laughs> yeah. She does toe that line in the book. Though. Yeah. Yeah, she really does. Uh, I love that they got Lee Pace for Garrett. I talked about this earlier, but um, if they were going to do the big speech at the end, I thought they were going to give it to a main character. They just got rid of it completely. But it was like when I saw it was Lee Pace, I was holding out hope that maybe he would actually give the speech because it, they got somebody who's dynamic of a screen presence enough mm -hmm. to pull off like showing up in just this movie and like stealing the show a little bit. And so I was thinking, oh, they could actually give him the speech and it would work and we'd like it because we like he's he's that good of a it's kind of a character actor. Um, so I was I, I enjoyed seeing him. I was always down for Lee Pace and stuff. He's fun. Um, a couple little details that the movie got right. Uh, there's a moment where Bella is reading a Tennyson poem to Renesmee. That's from the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the note that Alice leaves is torn out of the Merchant of Venice, uh -huh. which then Bella goes and finds the additional the Jay Jenks note, yeah. information. Bella gives Renesmee a locket. Yeah. Which is a ridiculous gift to give a small child. Yeah. But still. Well, she's not really a small child. She's way too, way more. She's advanced. Than. Yeah. Also, not a great idea. I guess it's. If they get to the point where they can see the locket, then it doesn't matter because they're going into hiding, right? Right. And she puts a picture of her, yeah, Bella or her uh, Bella Edward and Renesmee in it, or or just Bella or Bella and Edward maybe in the locket. I guess it doesn't matter at that point. That if, but my thought was like, well, it's very obvious now mm -hmm. who this child is. Which if you wanted them to be undercover, maybe don't put pictures of yourselves on them. Whatever, <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, there's a little line that uh, Garrett gets because he is a, an American revolutionary soldier or was, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, when the Volturi show up, he's like, the Redcoats are coming. The Redcoats are, which are I, I don't know, it's dumb. but It's kind of a, uh, for this property, the kind of rare vampire who leans into his personal history. Yeah, yeah, he really does. <laughs> they really, they have a lot of moments with him being like a, because he was like a, yeah. a, a founding father or whatever. <laughs> Or he wasn't, but he was, you know, he fought in the Revolutionary yeah. War and that sort of thing. And that's his personality that's his now. Thing. That's his thing, <laughs> is that he was a revolutionary soldier. And then Garrett and Kate get together. He's very enamored of oh, her. Oh, yeah. yeah. Likes their electricity. Yeah. And we mentioned before um, that Bella's little smirk at Jane yeah. across the battlefield. is able to harness her powers and yeah. knows she's winning. She's... Thwarting Jane gives her a little smirk. A little smirk. And I thought other than the fake battle and skipping Garrett's speech to the troops, those were like the two big things that the movie changed. But otherwise, the climax of this is basically spot on. It's pretty similar, yeah. It's pretty identical. Yeah. Yeah, those are the big, obviously, the battle, yeah. Um, and they even some of the elements of the battle are pulled from things that actually do happen in at least a couple little ones are things mm -hmm. that do happen in the book um, because they start 
uh, and this kind of happens in the movie as well. They start like attacking, like psychically attacking them yeah. before. Yeah. And, and they, they explain in the book that um, like Alec is trying to control them um, uh, while, while the Vulturi are still deciding what to do so mm-hmm. that they, they can't run away or, you know, basically like hold them prisoner while they decide what to do. And, and that happens in the book and they're, um, and this is where Bella's like using her shield powers to like protect them from mm-hmm. the, from Alec and Jane. Um, but then at some point, uh, Benjamin does open up a giant ravine yeah, in the middle does. of the field. That's actually, and that's, you know, that's the big thing at the end of the, the, the fake fight in the movie, but that actually does happen in the book. It just doesn't, nobody falls into it. It's not, <laughs> it just kind of splits open and, and like the mist falls into it or something. I can't remember. It exactly. just like rolls over it. Yeah. Cause he, I mean, he does open it up hoping that I think it'll stop yeah, the, the mist, mist yeah. but it doesn't. Yeah. And then we end in the same place mm-hmm. with Bella giving Edward a highlight reel of her memories. Yeah. And then we literally in the movie end on the last page of the book. Yeah. They show the last page of the book, including the last line with the forever. Might as well. Might as well. Why not? All right. That was it. We got a few more things to talk about, including we're going to wrap up everybody's favorite new segment. Brian predicts the Twilight Saga. It's going to happen, Edward. I just it. So these are my predictions for Breaking Dawn Part 2. See if I got any of them right. First, after the pack finds out about the Volturi, this sparks a big conflict between the Cullens and the pack, resulting in a brief fight where one of the Cullens and one of the pack is ever, ever, I can't say it, irrevocably injured. This strains their tenuous relationship, and we're worried the Cullens will have to face a Volturi alone, but ultimately the pack shows up to help save the day. None of that even got close Mm -hmm. to happening. Not really. And then my my other uh, prediction for that was that I if I was going to make it after reading the first half of the book was that um, Sam Sam's pack might help the Volturi and that oh, they yeah. just they just smooth things over immediately for no reason. They're like, all right, we're fine now. <laughs> and they show up and do nothing at the end of the book. <laughs> Looks scary, I guess. I uh, predicted that Jasper would die. Uh, he does not. Mm-mm. Except in the fake future that never happened in the movie. Yes. No one dies. Not a single person other than Irina. She's the only one who dies who matters, right? Yeah. Literally the only person who dies in this, like... Yes. In the books is Irina. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then final prediction. Bella and Jacob go to Dartmouth. Uh, he majors, Bella majors in literature with a focus on British modernism. Edward majors in film or something. They're that obnoxious college couple. No one likes them. And I still believe this happened. We don't see it in the movie, but I'm still going to say that this does actually, in fact, happen. And uh, if you remember correctly, I made my three wishes for Breaking Dawn. I don't care about the first two because they they were dumb. But the last one I got to talk about because it was Arrow survives and shows up in season three of What We Do in the Shadows. And this is totally possible. FX make it happen. I want it to happen. It's a, I, I want mean, because I I said that as a wish because I assumed for sure he would die. Yeah, like I just assumed that would have to happen, but he doesn't. He lives, so he could totally, totally show up in what we do in the shadows. I I need this. I need this now. I need this yesterday. <laughs> All right, we got a few odds and ends, and then we'll get to the final verdict.
Can we talk about how problematic it is that the Collins buy tons of fancy, expensive clothes and treat them like single-use items? Oh, they're the worst of the worst. They're the worst. Assholes, you are here forever. Mind your carbon footprint, fuckfaces. They're literally the worst possible um, rich people. Yeah. yeah, Just everything's disposable. Everything's disposable. They buy a million expensive, fancy cars that all get 10 miles to a gallon, five miles to a gallon, like Ferraris. And And they don't fucking need any of it. No, they don't need any of it. You can just run. They're just bored. They're just bored, rich assholes. They really... They really are. And there's no commentary on it in the book at all. It's portrayed as super cool, in fact. Super sweet. Yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. Uh, there's a little detail in the book that I thought was dumb is that so she wakes up in that blue dress and she says she's wearing heels mm-hmm. and she jumps out of the window. And in the movie, they just get rid of the she's wearing the blue dress, but she doesn't have the heels on in the book. She jumps out of the window in the heels and she lands and then they're getting ready to run through the woods and she takes the heels. And I was first I was like, how's she going to run in those heels? And then she takes the heels off. And as she does it, she hears Alice like groan or like be upset or something yeah. from the house. And I'm like, Alice. How is she supposed to run through the woods in those heels? Like, not even, like, I'm not even saying that, I get that, like, she's a vampire now. She could probably sprint in heels or whatever. But the ground is soft. Yeah. They're not, they're just going to stick into the woods. She'd like, just what? be leaving them behind. That's what I mean. The it doesn't make any sense. It's like, okay, sure. <laughs> well, it's just a dumb thing that I found annoying. Bella gets her own version of the khaki skirt in this book. She says, like, at one point she says, I would have sworn there was nothing more beautiful than Edward in his khakis and pale beige pullover. I remember that line. Oh, my God. And I just, Stephanie, I'm concerned. Pale beige and khaki together? What? (laughs) Stephanie, you feel a way about khaki that concerns me. No one feels this way about no. khaki. No. She no loves one, it. No one looks this good in khaki, my darling. Ugh, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. Like I and I associate khakis so hard with my Catholic school uniform. Yeah. And I assume that a lot of people probably associate it with like minimum wage retail jobs. Yeah. And shit like that. Like What's the khaki thing about, Steph? What's it about? Pale beige. Yeah. This and is khaki, khaki and is pale like the beige. Same color. It's beige on beige, khaki on khaki. It's boring, oh. is what it is. Yeah. And then he's also pale as fuck. Yeah. He's just monochrome from yeah. head to toe. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I thought it was really weird in this book that this is a little detail that they go through and one and I think I, I say it. And I'm saying it now, and I realize why it is. But she goes through the Volturi and exp- like talks about them, like we know who they are. But I feel like we've never. She goes through a list of them at one point of like Alec and Vol- and Dimitri and blah blah, and talking about mm-hmm. them. And I'm like, I don't remember any of these people. They're in the books for like a chapter. Yeah, they're literally like in one chapter or a couple chapters in like from two books ago. And I'm, like, supposed to, like, remember that, like, Vladimir is the strong one and, like, what? <laughs> it's just so weird to me that it they're not characters that we have recurred with any mm-hmm. amount and they're not distinct enough. 
And I, I, I say that, and I, I'm guessing that's why she goes through them again, is to remind us of who the fuck they are, because we wouldn't remember otherwise. Yeah. But it's no, just, to it's definitely. A, it's one of the weaknesses to me of the books in terms of, like, the plot, quote-unquote, is just how sporadically it decides to show up over yeah. the course of the books. It's very strange. I don't know. Maybe my favorite thing about the overall plot of this half of this book is that it hinges on Edward and Bella telling <laughs> everyone that they fucked while Bella was still human. Yeah. That's the, they're like they got to call witnesses to explain <laughs> to them. Okay, so hear us out. <sighs> so we got married, right? We got married, right? And then she wanted to have sex while she was still a human and I was like, "All right, fine." And then woof. She really twisted my arm, but you won't believe this. Turns out I'm not shooting blanks. <laughs> not shooting vampire blanks. Uh, anyways, hybrid human vampire baby. So that's that's what's going on. Yeah. They have to go on trial. Yeah. Boy, that's there's something there too. They're, oh, they have to go on trial for, for sure. their for their sexual con their sexual relationship results in them having to literally go on trial and defend themselves. Uh I talked about it earlier, but the I we didn't get into detail. D did you agree? Do you agree that the ending of this feels really rushed? Yeah, I feel like the last I don't know, hundred pages of this felt like it felt to me like she wasn't super sure what she wanted to do and how to wrap like, it up. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, and oh. then like I felt like her editors got it and were like, we don't know what to we do, don't with, know this what to do with this either. So it's just like they talk it out and then every. every Everybody lives happily ever after, I guess. I guess. I, oh, it's Charlie and Sue. Okay, I don't know. Whatever. Fine. It's done. It's over. <laughs> like, I just felt like <laughs> it felt like she got it to the deadline and just could not come up with like a, a, a more satisfying ending and was yeah. just like, kick the can down the road. I don't know. They. And then they have sex forever. Yeah. The, the end. end. So Stephanie Meyer has announced that she is going to write more books in the Twilight series. Even though she has said before that she's not going to rewrite the entire series from Edward's perspective, I'm betting we're getting at least one more <laughs> Edward book. But anyway, what I would like, what I demand, take notes, Stephanie, I demand a spinoff where the Volturi have to infiltrate human governments to get them to actually do something about global warming so that humans don't go extinct. <laughs> I I love that. That would be incredible. Because, yeah, their food source is going to yeah. fucking disappear. They're, they're, so you could start out with them in their castle in Italy. Like, the humans are going to extinct <laughs> themselves. They're going to all kill themselves. We have to, actually, we have we to, have to do, do something. something. And it's just like, it's just like a sitcom gov, government bureaucracy and them like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like that. I would love, yeah. And then it's just a re repeated, just. Caesar, you know, just mo just continuously them like doing uh, slamming their head against the walls, trying to get us fucking idiot humans to actually do something about the fact that we're burning the plant, boiling the planet alive. Yeah, that, there's something there for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, there's a there's mm -hmm. some good comedy there for sure. Absolutely. All right, it's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. 
verdict afterwards. All right, I think I'll probably have the more controversial final verdict this time. I don't know. Uh, I gave part one of Breaking Dawn to the movie, and I think I'm going to do the same again. I didn't hate the second half of this book like I did the first half. I, I enjoyed the second half of this. I thought there was more net positive to it. But overall, again, I thought the experience of watching the movie, like I had more fun watching the movie than I did reading the book again. Much like the other installments in this series, the stuff that's interesting in Breaking Dawn is the details about the world and the characters, and that's stuff that typically doesn't make it into the movies. But then the movies remove a lot of, like, cringy, yikesy, hard no material. So I think there's something to be said for that. And I really liked the big fake battle. I'm actually going to disagree with you on this one. I actually preferred the book, or the second half of the book this time. Uh, once Bella became a vampire, I found myself like really enjoying reading about her dealing with this whole new world. Uh, then once the coming doom of the Volturi kicked in, I really enjoyed trying to follow or trying to figure out how things were going to wrap up. The Jay Jenks side plot was interesting and fun. And I found myself legitimately invested in how they were going to resolve this whole conflict. The movie captures most of that stuff okay, but it shortcuts a lot of Bella's post-transformation and some of the mystery elements and just doesn't capture that in the same way that I kind of the same feeling I got from the book. Plus CG baby. It's literally <laughs> so bad that it ruins the movie. Uh, the best thing the movie has going for it is the bonkers fight scene at the end. I agree. It's incredible. Uh, and I wish there was maybe something similar in the book. I don't know if it would work quite as well as it does in the movie. But other than that, I pretty much universally preferred the book. I just, I actually really enjoyed the second half of this. I agree. First half I was the worst so far of the whole mm -hmm. series, but I think the second half was up there among the best of the whole book series, in my opinion. So I would have right. to pick the book. So we disagree for the final time yep. of the summer series. All right. So to close things out. I want to say that even though I've moaned and griped and dragged my feet, I really have enjoyed this revisit of Twilight. I stopped being into it in 2008, and this was my first foray back into the world. And it's been fun. It's also been validating in a way. Revisiting this series has made it very clear to me how much I've grown in how I respond to and critically examine media. It's also apparent how much my worldview and personal beliefs have changed and developed. And that doesn't mean that I have to dislike or disavow Twilight or be embarrassed that I was super into it once upon a time. I don't have to lambast 2007 Katie. I can give her a pat on the head and say, you'll get there, sweetie. I can look back on Twilight fondly and I can still be critical of it because I have grown as a human and I think we should all start recognizing that in ourselves more often. That was great. I agree. Katie, we already did our plugs at the beginning, but mm -hmm. once again, check us out on Patreon. Uh, give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. Uh, follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, especially so that you can give feedback for part two and let us know what you think so that for the next prequel episode, we can talk about what you all thought of Breaking mm -hmm. Dawn part two. But Katie, what's next? Up next, we have a listener request. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to be doing the young adult book, The Click. Never heard of it. 
which I I've heard of. It was something that was kind of popular when I was like late high school, early college, like kind of in the same vein as like Gossip Girl. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I never read it. It's a series. Um, I didn't realize it had been adapted into a movie, but apparently it has. So that's what we'll be doing. All right. That's it for the final episode of our 2020 summer series. Thank you all for coming along with us on this magical ride as we explored the Twilight Saga. Until next time, guys, gals, non-binary, everybody else. Keep reading books. Watching movies. And keep being awesome.